Take your Bibles and open again to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, as we're continuing our series focusing on Jesus' seven I Am statements from the Gospel of John. Now, the subtitle, as I've said each week, is Jesus in His Own Words. And my hope is that if you are here and you might be skeptical or you might be a doubter or you might be an unbeliever or you might be someone who says, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing, then you will, you will think hard about the claims that Jesus makes. And you'll hear from him with ever-increasing clarity and understanding. Um, and as I mentioned each week, there are two important matters of context. The first is, is what, when Jesus says these I am statements, that I am, for example, I am the bread of life. Or when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Or I am the, the one who gives living water. When Jesus makes these statements, what he is doing, every Jewish, every Jewish hearer would have heard what God had said to Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked, who should I say sends me to rescue my people from, from Pharaoh? And God says, tell them, I am who I am. The great I am, the great eternal being, I am, is sending me to you. So Jesus is claiming here in the New Testament to be the very one who was revealed to Moses, the very one who led God's people on their exodus. The second issue is, like C.S. Lewis said, all of us have to come to grips with the claims that Jesus makes. Jesus is either a lunatic... That means he's this crazy guy claiming to be God in the flesh, the Son of God and the Messiah, or he's a liar. He knows he's not, and he's one of the greatest deceivers that's ever lived, or he is Lord. He actually is who he claims to be, and we would point to the miracles and his resurrection as those things which testify about who he says he is. Now, the last three weeks, we've looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and I am the door of the sheep. This week, we're looking on Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Now, shepherding is a distant thing for most of us here in America. Most of us might have cattle, we might have other things, but we typically don't raise sheep, okay? Now, she, the themes of shepherds and shepherding is a major feature of biblical literature, okay? In the Middle East, shepherding was part of everyday culture. Everybody knew shepherds in and out of their towns, everybody had shepherds in their family, everybody had relationships with sheep, okay? So, you cannot ignore the theme of shepherds or shepherding from the Bible, nor can you ignore the, its significance. Whether it's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his family engaging as shepherds, or as King David, as we've studied him, the great shepherd king of Israel who wrote Psalm 23, of course, which many of us would know, which begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. All right. He also wrote Psalm 100, which says, um, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Or Isaiah, who writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one is turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. Who is that? Who is that? Well, what, I, what I'm trying to press home here is, is that God, throughout the Old Testament, chooses to reveal himself through the image of a shepherd. God says that that I'm like a shepherd. 
And he chooses to call us his sheep. Now that image is powerful, okay? That image is powerful mostly because of how powerless sheep are. I don't know if you've thought much about sheep, but one commentator said this, and I found it very humorous. He said, among the animal kingdom, sheep seem to have come out on the short end. From all accounts, they are of limited intelligence. Well, that's not good for us. When it comes to finding food, they are definitely uncreative. As creatures of habit, they will follow paths through desolate places, even though not far away is excellent foliage. Like they don't look up and see that there's grass right there. They're going to keep walking the dirt path. Like it's right there, guys. Take a left. It's right there. And he goes on to say, um, he goes on to say, sheep are also given to listless wandering. They are definitely at the lower end of the intelligence scale. There are even accounts of, their, of them walking through open fires. There's a fire, let's go through. I'm covered in wool. Surely it's not flammable. Let's walk through that. And he says, shepherds also confirm that they are timid and stubborn. He says, they can be frightened by the most ridiculous things, though at other times nothing can move them. But they're absolutely defenseless. There is no way a sheep can defend itself. Furthermore, of all the animals subject to husbandry, they take the most work. Okay? And then he says this, and I thought this was really humorous. He says, I remember hearing Dr. Bob Smith, a retired professor of philosophy um, at, at Bethel College, say this. He says, the existence of sheep is on its face evidence against the theory of evolution. There is no way sheep could have survived. Okay? So... God makes sheep, here's my point, God makes sheep to show us something about who he is and to show us something about who we are and how he chooses to love us in spite of our idiosyncrasies and our tendencies to wander. So let's keep all that in mind as we come to John 10, remembering, of course, that this is right on the heels of Jesus healing a man born blind and the Pharisees and religious leaders castigating this guy publicly instead of rejoicing that one of God's sheep has been made whole. All right? So I want to give you five truths from John 10 about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Five things about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Notice first that what makes Jesus the Good Shepherd is that he is sent by the Father. The Good Shepherd is sent by the Father. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That's the religious leaders. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This is who Jesus says he is. Now, being sent by the Father is one of the main themes throughout the Gospel of John. You cannot read the Gospel of John without understanding that over and over again, Jesus is the one who has been sent by the Father. Whether it's John 1, where the Father sends the Son full of grace and truth, or whether it is John, 3, where G, uh, John, John 2, where Jesus is the Lamb of God who has been sent to take away the sins of the world, or it's John 3, where because of the Father's great love for the world, He sends the Son so that those who believe in Him should not perish. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, Jesus argues from the premise 
that I am the one who has been uniquely sent by the Father to do His will. And this very truth is what Jesus says separates Him from these religious leaders. That's why they are robbers and thieves and they've jumped over into the Lord's, into the Lord's sheep pen by not coming through the door. And as we discussed last week, this whole encounter is, for, is, a, is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 34 where God pronounces a, a, a judgment on God's shepherd rulers because instead of feeding the sheep and loving the sheep in compassion, they're fleecing the sheep and getting fat on their backs and they're abusing them. But it's also there in Ezekiel 34 where God promises that I'm going to send another shepherd. I'm going to send a good shepherd who's going to, who's going to gather my sheep instead of scattering, scattering them and who's going to minister mercy and grace instead of abuse. And so, no other person can fulfill this role of good shepherd except one who has been sent by the Father. And that is Jesus, the one who has been sent with the very authority of the Father. To be sent by the Father is to carry the Father's authority. For example, if I walked up into an Amazon facility and I said, hey, you got to tighten this ship up. I'm tired of getting my packages late. You know? And they go, well, who are you? And I go, well, I'm just Brother Jacob from up in Huntington. They'd go, yeah, good luck. But if I walked in and I had a badge and said, hey, sent by Jeff Bezos, they'd go, we better do what this guy says. Because he's going to report back what he finds. And so this is what Jesus claims. I'm the one coming with the very authority and seal of the Father. I'm carrying his authority. The good shepherd is sent by the Father. Number two, what makes Jesus a good shepherd is that the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and he leads them. Look at verse 3 and then verse 27. Verse 3 says, to him the gatekeeper opens to the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's what Jesus says. And if you skip down to verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, there are three incredibly important truths here. Notice first the emphasis on Jesus' voice. The sheep, Jesus says that the sheep hear his voice. That the sheep are listening for the voice of their shepherd. When Jesus speaks, those who belong to him hear him. And in verse 5, he adds, His sheep will not listen to the voice of strangers nor follow them. Everyone who is listening to Jesus would have understood this. Shepherds spent their entire time among the sheep. They would call them, speak to them, name them. And when they would rise up to lead them, they would call them by their voice. And there would be a group of shepherds, okay? They would gather their sheep together. And whether or not there were three or four flocks together, it didn't matter. Because when this shepherd got up and called his sheep, all of his sheep from that whole group of sheep would follow him. And the other shepherd would call his sheep and they would follow him this way. Because the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. Okay? Just think about this. If you, were, if you lost your child at a, at, a, at a large gathering outside, and Lord knows that's a scary thing, right? But when you start calling your child, what are you hoping they recognize? How loud you are? You want them to, hear, you want them to recognize your voice. 
that's the voice of my father. I can go towards that voice because that sounds just like my dad when he's yelling at me when I don't clean my room. You know? But you're listening for the voice of your mother or the voice of your father because children know the voice of their parents. And here Jesus says his sheep recognize his voice when Jesus speaks. So my first question here is, do you hear the voice of Jesus? When Jesus calls, do you hear and do you say, that's my shepherd, I will follow him? Second, notice the emphasis on Jesus calling his sheep by name. He says that he knows those who are his and those who are not. He has named these sheep. He calls them by name. He intimately knows his sheep and loves them. In verse 14, Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. In verse 27, again, I know them. But the opposite is also true, right? The opposite is also true. Look down at verse 26. And what Jesus says to the religious leaders. Look at the condemnation in verse 26. He says, you do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep. The reason Jesus knows his sheep, though, is found in verse 29. Look there. Jesus says, the Father has given the sheep to the Son. Now that brings us face to face with the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? It's mysterious, it's challenging, it's humbling, but it's nonetheless true. Jesus calls his sheep by name because their names are written in the Lamb's book of life that were written there before the foundation of the world, and that's why he calls them by name. Now, third, notice that Jesus says he leads his sheep and they follow him. Jesus says, I lead my sheep and they follow me. So here's the question, how do you know if you're one of Jesus' sheep? From these few verses, how do you know? How do I know that I, I, I belong to Jesus, that I'm one of his sheep? Well, from the text, you hear his voice. You follow his leadership. When he calls, you answer. When he speaks, you listen. When he directs, you obey. And for the religious leaders here, it's plain they don't know Jesus they don't hear his voice. They don't heed his call. They do not follow him or obey him. They fail to see Jesus. They fail to see Jesus that Jesus is exactly the shepherd that God had promised Israel. Listen to what Mo, God says to Moses back in Numbers 27. Listen to what God says to Moses in, in Numbers 27. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord, and he says this. Let the Lord, the God of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. So Moses prays that God would raise up a shepherd who would shepherd his people. And then Jesus takes those very words on his lips here in John 10 and says, I'm the good shepherd who leads my people out and brings them in. And, my, and, and so, that my, so that my people will have a shepherd. And what do we hear Jesus saying over all throughout the Gospels? It says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That this is the very heart of Jesus. The good shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And third... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look back in chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. He says there, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now here is Jesus' I am statement. I am the good shepherd. He says it twice in verse 11 and verse 14. Jesus here is claiming to be that very shepherd promised to God, promised by God in, uh, in Numbers and also in Ezekiel. He is the very incarnation of Psalm 23. And this is what makes Jesus different from all the others. He's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now four words come to mind here. Four words when I think about these verses. The first is love. Love. Unlike the others, you notice that twice Jesus says that the hired, the hired man runs away when danger comes. Why? Because he doesn't care for the sheep. He doesn't love his sheep. He doesn't love his sheep. Unlike the others who do not care for the sheep, Jesus proves his love by laying his life down for the sheep. This is the same love that the Father says um, in Romans 5, 8 when he says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love. The good shepherd loves his sheep. Second, sacrifice. This love leads to sacrifice. It is this very act of sacrifice that demonstrates Jesus' unique relationship to the Father. Look, at, look down in verse 17. Make this connection. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Jesus says, I'm, doing, I'm demonstrating the same love for the sheep that the Father has. I'm willing to lay down my life and take it up again for the sheep. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I choose to. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for my sheep. But there's a third picture, there's a third word, and that's intimacy. Intimacy and relationship, right? Jesus says in verse 14, again, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, this is something you can think about the rest of the afternoon. Jesus says here that he extends the same love, intimacy, fellowship and care to his sheep that he has with his father. The same love, intimacy, care, and fellowship that the father has with the son and the son has with the spirit and the spirit has with the son and the father, this same relationship that characterizes the eternal relationship of the Trinity, Jesus says, I, I extend that to my sheep. Now that is incomprehensible and astounding. That Jesus would share that with us. But did you know that's the same point of all creation? That is the purpose of all creation. That 
God created us to know Him, love Him, and enjoy His presence and fellowship forever. And that's exactly how Revelation ends when it says that we will see Him face to face. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and the dwelling place of God will be with man and He will be their God and we will be His people forever. That's the point. So love, sacrifice, relationship, and leadership. Notice this. This is what shepherd leadership looks like. Being willing to lay down your life for the sheep you love. One commentator said it this way. I want you to think about this. He says, in Jesus' self-sacrifice for the sheep, Jesus presents the true model for leadership. The aim of many leaders is their own glory. Not truly loving those they lead, they use them as a means to their own personal ends. He says, it is the leadership of the hireling, not the shepherd. This principle is certainly not confined to the church. He says, leadership, whether in political life or industry or business or community, follows one of two routes. So if you're going to be a leader, you're going to be one of two kinds of leader. He says, either it is directed to the self-life of the leader for your own desires, Or it is directed selflessly for the good of those you lead. He says the former is the way of the world which leads to death. The latter is the way of Jesus that leads to life. So if you're a leader in this room, if you're a leader in community, business, industry, politics, if you're even a leader in your small group or in your classroom or at home among your children, you will either lead out of your own selfish desires Or you will lead like Jesus as a shepherd who gives his life for those he leads. And then fourth, the good shepherd brings all of his sheep in together. The good shepherd brings in all of his sheep together. Look at verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now there are two two important things here. Two things. Number one, notice that Jesus says, I'm not simply laying down my life for the lost sheep of Israel. Though Jesus did come, and and the gospel will go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Jesus says here that I am not simply giving my life for one small country over here in the Middle East. He says, I am the shepherd of the world. I'm giving my life for the world. So Jesus will not have his his love or leadership reduced to one small people. Jesus intends for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth so that his sheep everywhere can hear his voice. They can repent of their sin and follow him by believing on him as their shepherd. And, this is a, and Jesus will tell his disciples over at the end of John, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as the Father sent me to gather my sheep, I'm sending you to go find my sheep by preaching the gospel everywhere. Second, though, and this is something that all of us sometimes struggle with and all of us need to get right in our hearts. Second, this shows the importance of Christian unity. Christian unity. This shows us the importance of Christian unity around our shepherd, right? In Christ, there is one global church. It's not just First Baptist Huntington. Amen. Amen. 
We have brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world who follow Jesus as our shepherd. All people anywhere and everywhere who confess Christ as Lord, believe on His name, hear His voice and follow Him are all part of His one flock. That means we have more in common with the Christian in Congo living in a mud hut who has a piece of a Bible than we have with our neighbor who grew up in our school right next door to us who speaks the same language from the same socioeconomic status, all of that. I have more in common with my brother and sister in the Congo than I do with my neighbor who knows not Jesus. Because me and that brother in Congo are going to spend eternity together. Okay? So, that's my point. Um, This is incredibly important. We are all part of one flock and one shepherd. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now listen, there certainly are denominations that serve a purpose and help safeguard the consciences of believers. But... There is one universal flock to whom all believers belong for all time and eternity. Listen, the issue in eternity will not be your denomination. It will not be your preferred church governance. It will not be your preferred model of communion or baptism. In heaven, it will be your relationship to one shepherd. Because there's one flock. There's one flock. The good shepherd brings all of his sheep in together. You know why? Because no matter what color this sheep is or how much money this sheep has or what country this sheep was born in, when this sheep hears the voice of his shepherd, this sheep follows his shepherd. And that should be the same for all sheep everywhere. We follow the voice of King Jesus. And finally, as I conclude, the good shepherd gives his sheep life. The good shepherd gives his sheep life. Look at verse 10. Go back to verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief does. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm not coming to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm coming to give you life. Now go to verse 28. This forms the end of kind of this section, verse 10 and verse 28. Now look at verse 28. Jesus says this about a sheep. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus comes, hear me, I'm going to wrap this up with about five sentences here. Jesus lays down his life so that we can have life. Jesus willingly dies so that we do not have to perish. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Jesus came so that we could have abundant life and eternal life, and both of those happen now in the present and extend into eternity. Eternal life now. Abundant life now. To come to, to come to Jesus 
is to come to life. To come to Jesus is to find life. The very meaning and substance of life. The very thing for which you were created. The very purpose for why you exist. Jesus says, as I wrap all of this up, Jesus says, enter in by the door and find life. Jesus says, hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him and find life. Jesus says, drink of him and find life. Jesus says to take him as bread and find life. Jesus says, come to him and have the deepest longings of your soul satisfied forever. And so you go, well, Jacob, how do I do that? What do I do? Hear his voice. Believe on him. Follow him by faith as your shepherd. Look on him and be saved. Listen, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it's only death. Let me tell you, struggler. Let me tell you, sinner. Let me tell you, skeptic. How is all of your searching and all of your experimenting, has it brought you abundant life? Has it brought you eternal life? Has your soul been satisfied? It's really easy to tell. Because when your soul was satisfied, you quit looking for something else. But if you're still looking for joy and meaning and significance in sex or in money or in career advancement or in this or in this or in this, there's not life at the end of that. There's only death. You know why? All of those things can be taken from you. Your family can be taken from you. Your riches can be taken from you. Your relationships can be taken from you. Your health can be taken from you. But Jesus says, what I offer cannot be taken from you. It is abundant life and joy and security in His hand forever where no one can snatch you out that leads to eternal life and joy. And so let me just ask you, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Jesus says, you were made for me. Come to me. Come to me and find life. Because all you're going to find out there is death and destruction. Everything you hope in will be taken from you. Come and drink and never thirst again. Let me pray. Father, we ask that, Lord, that you would speak to us and we would see Jesus as the good shepherd. And, Father, may we follow his leadership, hear his voice, obey his call, and find life, pasture, provision, nourishment, joy, hope, and eternal life in His name. We pray this in Christ's name.